Hello and welcome to The Yarn, podcast from the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne. I'm Jordan Beasley and today is the third and final part of our series, Tales of the Environment. It's a series we've made in collaboration with the Being Human Festival and each week we've been bringing you three glimpses into what life is like on the front lines of the climate emergency. This week, action is the antidote, is our theme. And what happens when Australians take climate action into their own hands? I feel grief knowing that my country will be destroyed eventually. So there's 65,000 years of songlines, sacred sites, knowledge, family and culture being wiped off the face of the earth. I understood that if I didn't fight with everything I had, I was basically just a sitting duck. Even if what we do doesn't make a huge difference or any difference in the end, action is the antidote. The Gurindji, Mara, Garawa and Yanua nations of the Northern Territory's Gulf region can feel their country changing. They no longer get the harsh downpours they used to get during wet seasons. Some flowers they don't see bloom anymore. And their land sits atop something that could make this worse. Something the Morrison government desperately wants to exploit. Gas. 51% of the Northern Territory is under licence to explore for new oil and gas fields. Traditional owners fear extracting this from their country will poison their groundwater, destroy their sacred sites, and make their homelands too hot to live in. So they're fighting back. My name's Ricky Dank. My family and my country know me as Lari Norlima. I'm a Gurindji and Wakaya person from the Barclay Tamblands, from the Rumbaria clan. I'm also a Nimarinki for my, my country, and my country is Marabana or Mermaid's country, um, and it's women's country. My family have always been pretty vocal in terms of caring for, for country. At the same time, I do this because I I have a lot of love for my family and my country. At the moment, we have a company called Empire, and they also go by another name, Imperial Oil and Gas, um, on our country. They are fracking at the moment. Since we've heard about Empire on our country, it's just been moments of utter despair because we know what fracking does to country. I'm very angry. I feel like they tricked my 85-year-old plus grandmother. They tricked her into signing something. And, you know, she's the most kindest, sweetest, trusting person. And they took advantage of her. Like I've said to, to people before, we will fight this to the very end. And I will remain a thorn in empire side until the day I die. I I got to COP and it was through the help of Get Up, Seed Mob and the Pacific Climate Warriors. Without those grassroots organisations, First Nations people wouldn't have a platform to, to elevate their voice. So you go into where all the countries have their pavilion areas and it's like a little roadshow. Walking through all of that, you kind of feel really lost. And while I was there, I kind of made um, the Indigenous pavilion my home, not the Australian pavilion, just because of how they made you feel like that you weren't invited. 
I feel grief because my family actually live on country. So once our water is poisoned, my family will be drinking that poisoned water. I feel grief knowing that my country will be destroyed eventually. So there's 65,000 years of songlines, sacred sites, knowledge, family and culture being wiped off the face of the earth. But I feel hope knowing that there is such a strong push to change attitudes towards climate change. I might have days where I might sit down and have a good cry, but then the next day I get up and I continue the fight. I think Australia now, we need to get angry and we need to remind the government who they're working for. I think we need to remind ourselves that um, we do actually have a lot of power if we come together. This is not saying just to Indigenous people, this is to everybody. That was Ricky Dunk, a Gurindji and Wakaja woman from the Barclay Tablelands. She also owns the art gallery Lajari, which exhibits Indigenous artists. The fight for climate action in Australia is moving from the picket line and into the courtrooms. Australia now has the second highest number of climate litigations in the world. One person who mounted such a case is a bushfire survivor reeling from the devastation of her community. I'm Jo Dodds and I'm the president of Bushfire Survivors for Climate Action. Even though I had been very aware of climate change for 15 years at least, um, I'm kind of embarrassed to say it, it wasn't until there was a bushfire bearing down on my house and and also the homes of my friends and neighbours, that I I understood how climate change is not a future problem. It's a now problem. But suddenly I understood that if I didn't fight with everything I had, I was basically just a sitting duck. Yeah, so the fire that, that kind of um, pushed me into action was in March of 2018, and that was a fire that um, ended up wrapping around the, the property where I live, my home. Um, but then it wasn't that much longer, like the end of 2019 was the Black Summer Fires or so-called Black Summer Fires because, of course, they'd been burning for months before. It was our group, Bushfire Survivors for Climate Action, through working with the Environmental Defenders Office, took the New South Wales EPA, Environmental Protection Authority, to court, the Land and Environment Court, because we were arguing that the EPA, its basic remit is about protecting the environment as part of protecting human life. And we were arguing that if that was their remit, then their failure to have specific policies and guidelines around climate change was a failure of their duty. So um, we went to court and three days in court was um, equally exciting and uh, mind-numbingly legalistic, of course. (laughs) Um, We had some pretty interesting evidence given by Australia's ex-chief scientist, Professor Penny Sackett, um, talking about the the impacts of climate change and what we can expect and the reasons for it, but also talking about um, the IPCC report, which dropped on the evening of the first day of court. So that was allowed into evidence on the second day, which was pretty good too. 
And the upshot was the judge came back very quickly um, and said, yep, we were correct on all fronts. And the EPA, his ruling was the EPA must come up with those policies and procedures and guidelines. What was really fabulous, I thought, was that not only did we win the court case, but the Minister for the Environment, New South Wales, Matt Keane, came out pretty well straight afterwards and said that he would not be raising um, raising any objections to that. There wouldn't be an appeal. In fact, quite the opposite. He would be uh, pursuing the development of those policies and working with us as you know enthusiastically as possible. If if I wasn't being really active in the space of working towards a safer climate, I would feel only despair. But the fact that I'm working in this space means I'm I'm meeting the thousands, literally thousands of other people who are also working on this and and from top scientific experts to political shakers and movers to um, presidents and ex-prime ministers as well as activists. So I, what I see is big shifts are happening. They're happening, a lot of them, without people really being aware of the significance. So we're seeing shifts in the legal frameworks, like the, the building blocks that we've been putting down with the many legal cases that have happened recently in Australia and overseas. So I think awareness is is growing tremendously and we shouldn't be we shouldn't think that the world is responding as slowly as Australia is. We actually are a standout in terms of being um, pretty bad in, in climate mitigation action, but the rest of the world is moving a lot faster than us. That was Joe Dodd, president of the Bushfire Survivors for Climate Action. In Australia, it's not just school students taking action, but grandparents too. They call themselves Grey Power. They're part of Extinction Rebellion. And they're older, bolder and unstoppable. My name is Heath Greville. I'm a public health researcher at the University of Western Australia. I'm 67 years old and I'm a member of Extinction Rebellion. I have a very um, well-informed niece and probably about 11 or 12 years ago now she came to me and said you know it's it's a very bad situation out there with climate and ecological collapse i said to her darling if it's that bad they'll do something about it it was really at the last federal election when i realized who they are going to be the government um and it, it finally really hit me that yeah, our, our system is failing us on this existential matter and I had to get involved. I went to one of the public talks that um, XR gives called Heading for Extinction and What to Do About It. Then I've done a couple more protests which involve just dis- um, interrupting business as usual by blocking streets. I've had reasonably good experiences through the courts. There is certainly within the police and within the um, judiciary a lot of sympathy. There are sympathisers everywhere. I just wish they'd get out and get into the streets and join us. My niece, she's been involved in a few different movements and she feels like she's been burnt. And one of the things that she said to me a couple of times is, um, the sooner humans go extinct, better. I mean, that may be true, but the fact is there's going to be such untold suffering on the way. 
I have to be honest and say I feel many things. I recently went on a beautiful camping trip on the south coast and, you know, you can be looking at wonderful flowers and know you're in this most biodiverse area in Australia and feel like you're sort of just bearing witness to what is going to pass. So there's a combination there of joy and and sadness and sometimes despair, even if what we do doesn't make a huge difference or any difference in the end. Action is the antidote, we say in Extinction Rebellion, you know, trying to turn that despair into rage and that rage into action. That was Heather Greville, a public health researcher at the University of Western Australia and a member of Extinction Rebellion. We also heard from Joe Dodd, president of the group Bushfire Survivors for Climate Action, and Gurunji and Wakaja woman Ricky Dunk, a climate activist and owner of the art gallery Lajari. You've been listening to Tales of the Environment, a podcast by The Yarn. This podcast was in collaboration with the Being Human Festival, with special thanks to Emma Souklis, Sarah Willis and Ellie Clay. The Yarn is produced by myself, Jordan Beasley and Clancy Barlin. Interviews were conducted by me and Thomas Phillips, with editing by Jenny Tai and Clancy Barlin. Our executive producer is Louisa Lim, and the original concept of The Yarn came from Fia Walsh. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts or jump onto thecitizen.org.au for more work by our journalists at the University of Melbourne. I'm Jordan Beasley and thanks for listening.